Welcome into Heinz Field and welcome into the Steelers Standard. I am Tom Opperman. With me, as always, is Jacob Reck. Working our way towards that Hall of Fame game, Jacob. And before we get to that, though, I wanted to start with the announcement made today about the Steelers game day broadcast broadcasting team. Our good buddy Craig Wolfley is now going to be the color man next to Bill Hillgrove in the booth. And two-time, count them, two-time Super Bowl champion with your Pittsburgh Steelers, Max Starks, will be joining Missy Matthews on the sidelines. It's going to be a hell of a crew this year. Obviously, we wish Tunch could be there. The best. But Wolf's going to do a great job. We all know that. Max right. Stark's going to do a great job. And for us, Jacob, it's kind of cool. We get yeah, our first yeah, analyst that, you yeah. know, that I was going to say, we get our first analyst that, a guy that, that we, we grew knew. up with. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like point, all these Tom. analysts are usually guys that, you know, from the 80s, 80s or 90s. Yeah. We finally get someone from our the generation. aughts, someone yeah. that won two, the two Super Bowls that we saw. So should be a great broadcast crew. I can't even say that word. Broadcast crew. This year for Steelers Sundays, looking forward to Max Starks joining uh, the fold, and obviously Wolf is going to continue to hit home run after home run. Right. I mean, Wolf leaving his sideline position, but we saw how great he was at being in the booth last year when there was no no one available to be on the sideline. So it was Billy Tunch and Wolf in the booth last year. So just another continuation of Wolf's abilities to make those great calls next to Billy. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to get Max Starks in the, in the fold here and I'll be working with them in the locker room for the whole regular season. So Lucky I can't, you. I can't wait to meet Max Starks and get back to work with Wolf. You'll get your first taste of these guys on Thursday for the hall of fame game. Pittsburgh and Dallas at Canton, Ohio. I think the big storyline leading into this game isn't the game itself, but it's the who from the Steelers and on Dallas' side of things, who from them are you going to actually see play come the game Thursday night? And I think the guys that you'll see as regular participants in the 2021 season will be few and far between as far as their uh, participation level on Thursday in this game, and I'm talking about for both sides, Steelers and Cowboys. Not going to be a lot of stars out there. No, that's the big storyline, though. Even though you're not going to be see the big star figures, the big storyline is the guys you're going to see instead. What can they do to make an impression in the first preseason game of the NFL season? Guys are being held out of Steelers practice, or at least limited in Steelers practices. We know Ben Roethlisberger's MO practices. Then he takes a couple of days off. Then he practices again. Beyond him, though, I think the big one that's been turning heads around town is T.J. Watt and his, if you want to say, lack of participation in training camp has some people a little concerned, wondering if I've heard the term quote-unquote passive holdout being attached to it, wondering if that's T.J.'s M.O. First of all, I think that's just a garbage take. I, I think that that it's is just a weird way to it's describe it. It's just a weird it, way think. to describe it. It's the furthest thing from the truth. The, the bottom line is, and what's happening is T.J. Watt doesn't need this extra week of practice that the Steelers were awarded because of the Hall of Fame game. He doesn't need to be going through these drills this as intensely as other players on the depth chart are. This isn't meant for T.J. Watt. This is meant for guys like Quincy Roche, maybe even Alex Highsmith, guys behind him on the depth chart that need to stand out and solidify the their, their positions on the depth chart. Absolutely. Uh, T.J. Watt is not going to forget how to play football, and – I bet that if he didn't even participate in a single preseason practice or game, the Steelers would feel very comfortable still throwing him out there week one in Buffalo. I'm not saying that's going to be the case. He's going to get some run as the preseason starts to roll along. 
But to think that this has anything to do with his contract situation or him passively holding out. I mean, first of all, I don't know how long you guys have been following the NFL. Players aren't exactly shy to hold out. I mean, if they're going to hold out, they just tend to not show up to training camp or completely, you know, or, or publicly say, this is what I'm doing. Like, I'm waiting for Aaron a new contract. Well, you might be hinting about Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. But it's happened in the past several times. You've seen Every it happen year. for Steelers. Every year. You want to remember Heinz Ward had some contract uh, negotiation stuff crop up during training camp. And as much as you love the guy, you forget that there was a time where things weren't so perfectly clear. And it's not because he's a bad guy. It's just the way that the business is conducted. You would have seen T.J. Watt conduct it that same way if that was, in fact, his M.O. here. It's not. And it's Tomlin and the coaching staff deciding, we don't need to burn this guy out. First of all, he's had fatigue problems in his career already, had to sit out some critical series in the fourth quarter against the Browns in the playoffs and has sat out in fourth quarters in the regular season as well. So you got that to worry about. Yes, you went out and you got Melvin Ingram, so you're not as thin at that position as you were, but T.J. Watt's the best player on your defense, so you can't afford to lose him for any significant amount of time during the season. All This is all about just saving his body, making sure that week 15, week 16, week 17, week 18, that big stretch against some of the toughest opponents that the Steelers have on their schedule, their best player on the defensive side of the ball will be as fresh as he possibly can be to make as much of an impact as possible for all four quarters of the game. Yeah, we talked about this a lot yesterday, Tom, about guys being able to not exert themselves 100% at every day of training camp and, of course, in the preseason, those, those four games that the Steelers have available to them. But uh, to me, the, the whole passive term is really, I think, almost kind of a slight against T.J. Watt because you're trying to say that he doesn't want to show any effort being exerted, which isn't true. Uh, what, what, what needs to be made clear is the fact that this guy is arguably the second best player, if not the best defensive player in the NFL. And no... No NFL team would be saying to themselves, let's make him go out there every day of minicamp, every day in training camp, like it's the Super Bowl. And let's make sure he's putting in the effort so that we know he can still put in the effort come the regular season. No, that's not what you need from him. As long as he's around, which he is now, and he's actively participating with teammates, not necessarily in every drill, but he's showing himself present in the moment I think that's what's most important yeah exactly he's here at practice every single day see him out on the field as we're sitting here right now he's not holding out no he's not and although he's not going through a lot of the stuff with pads and the physical stuff still see him do the walkthroughs with the Steelers and still see him imparting some of that wisdom on young guys like Alex Highsmith or a Quincy, Quincy Roche he's he's an active participant in these practices there's nothing about that that signals passive holdout at all. I mean, you can come here to Heinz Field when it opens for the fans and you'll see number 90 out there for the entirety of both walkthroughs and practices. If it were a holdout of any circumstance, you don't you think even if you did see him, it'd be a little fewer and farther between. It wouldn't be 100% focus and commitment to being here. It's 100% the coaching staff. It's all about keeping him fresh. And honestly, you like you're saying, that narrative is getting a little disrespectful that, disrespectful that he would be conducting himself in a passive holdout manner when that's just simply not true. Why would you label 
or attach that kind of a negative label to your best player. It doesn't make any sense to me. No, not at all. But that's that's what people want to do. They that's wanna, like they stir the pot. At they want to create stories because right as of today, in 48 hours, that obviously changes. But as of today, there hasn't even been a single preseason football snap, let alone an entire game that has been played. So this is what people are trying to do. They're trying to make headlines and, and, and create stories and, and clicks for, for clickbait. And that's fine because the, you know what the easiest way to you know how the easiest way to do that is is by targeting one of the best players in the NFL on offense or defense. And everyone know everyone in the NFL, everyone who's a fan of the NFL knows the name TJ Watt. So if you're gonna go out there and say, Oh, he's being passive about his training camp, that's gonna raise some eyebrows. Yeah, it is. It's gonna be, you know, leading ESPN Every single time you turn it on, Sports Center wouldn't be able to talk about anything else. And, you know, we, we talk about how much does it bother T.J. Watt that he hasn't won Defensive Player of the Year. It does. But stuff like this, I'm sure, doesn't even go in one ear out the other. It doesn't even come close to his stratosphere of information that, that he's retaining or information that he's hearing. He knows what is going on. We talked about... Ben Roethlisberger's capabilities as an 18-year vet. The only person who knows what Ben Roethlisberger is really capable of is Ben. This is somewhat different. T.J. Watt knows what he's doing when it's coming to his preparation or his, his strategy coming into training camp. But to people who don't really have a clear view of it, who are just trying to say, who are looking at it from a distance perspective and just see, oh, he's not getting involved in the padded practices. He's kind of just off the sidelines, not really doing a lot. All they're going to see is that, and they're going to make their headlines saying he's being passive. T.J. Watt knows he's not being passive, and the Steelers know he's not being passive. Even though that is a garbage take, him being passive and holding out, you can't ignore the fact that that contract looms large. That's something that the Steelers definitely need to get done. And you have to wonder what the best strategy is as far as that's concerned. You know the Steelers do not like to negotiate contracts within the season. Obviously, if they don't get something done by the end of camp, I'm sure that this would have to be a conversation that waits till the next season. But one thing that I've seen floated out there about T.J. Watt and his long-term status with the Steelers is our old ugly friend, the franchise tag. Uh -huh. We all know how that went with Le'Veon Bell. First time it went fine. Second time, it blew up completely in everybody's faces. No more so than Le'Veon Bell's own face, might I add. But it still blew up pretty badly. Steelers were hurt as far as that's concerned because they missed out on one of the best running backs in the league. You don't want to have that happen. You, has to, you still have that sour taste in your mouth, and you hope that doesn't happen with a guy like T.J. Watt. But he is really ripe for that franchise tag, especially if he's asking for that 28 to $30 million a year range, uh, you know, Miles Garrett makes around $25 million a year, so he obviously is looking at that, and he wants to get an increase there because he views himself better than Miles Garrett, which in my mind it's he fair, is right now. And I, I, I agree with you as well. But it just makes sense from the Steelers' perspective as they try to you know keep trying to patch teams together to make runs at Super Bowls while they can with Big Ben to franchise tag TJ the next season, especially if Ben Roethlisberger is gone. You don't know what you're going to have in the new quarterback, whoever that may be. It might be their best interest to just, you know, have a one-year thing with TJ there, see how that new quarterback is. If they need to completely rebuild this thing up, then you can just move on from TJ. If not, 
and the quarterback that you brought in played well and TJ continues to play like we expect him to under that tag, then with all the cap space they have coming up next year and the year after, that's when you work out a four or five-year deal with him. Dom, you just crushed the souls of millions of Steeler Nation members. But it's, it's smart. Saying you got to move on from TJ. It's probably smart. Oh, 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 that's only if they're terrible after Ben. Right, but right, even right. If but that's still, the case, that they still looming might. possibility, you, you don't want to hear that. I mean, TJ Watt is, I believe, a once-in-a-generational player in terms of his explosiveness and, and knowledge of the game, that combination of the two. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. You have to – you can't just act on a whim on a on, – on the heels of the 2021 season. What you have to do is you have to analyze long-term and understand what the circumstances are involving not just TJ but the rest of the team as well. Look, as a fan, I want him to be here forever. Forever, Like, I want course. a long-term deal done right now, five years, whatever he wants. I think he's worth it. I think he's earned it. I mean, Absolutely. he hasn't gotten that defensive player of the year yet, but if you've been paying attention, you know he's been the runner-up both times, and you could have made the argument in both years that he should have had it. it. But he's been first-team All-Pro back-to-back seasons, been to Pro Bowls. He's really crossed everything off the list that you need to cross off in order to get that long-term lucrative deal. It's just the situation that the Steelers are in right now. You know, They have this premier elite outside linebacker who is the best in the league at getting into the backfield getting at the quarterback, and also wrapping up running backs for tackles for losses. Yet on the other side of the ball, their Hall of Fame quarterback is at the very end of his road. I mean, these are things that you like to pair together for five to ten years, an elite pass rusher as well as an elite quarterback. And the Steelers just have these two ships kind of passing in the middle of the night with each other where TJ's career is just getting started, Ben's is winding down, and they have this really small two-, three-year window in the middle where they need to try to make it work, and that's what we're living at right now. So as far as the Steelers from a business side of things are concerned, I get not wanting to have that long-term deal on the books ASAP. Even though it wouldn't hurt your cap this year and you can bump the cap hits down the road, I still get why they are in a kind of a wait-and-see kind of mode you just don't know what the team's going to look like or how competitive it's going to be next season, even though their defense will still be pretty good next season. And you can honestly make the argument, Tom, with the offensive players around Big Ben, even after his possible departure, and the defense on the opposite side of the ball looking pretty much the same as it did in 2019, you could argue that despite the quarterback situation, this team could be fine without Ben. It's just... It's a big question to answer. I mean, obviously, the quarterback is the most important position in all of sports, you could say. So it's obviously – it raises concern because there's so much uncertainty with that. You don't know what's going to happen. But if 2019 is any indication, this team could be okay without Ben. Well, T.J. Watt hasn't been participating much in pads, but the Steelers' offensive line got a participant back at 100% yesterday, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that offensive line as they continue to try to get healthy and come together on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Steelers Standard, and we are live from Heinz Field for Steelers training camp, and it's all right here on Steelers Nation Radio. This is Black and Gold Fan Habit from SNR. We're behind the black and gold and the nation of fans that cheer them on. At First National Bank, we're proud to stand behind the fans in the city we call home. With everything you need to manage your money. From a top rate... 
Tom Offerman and Jacob Brecht live at Heinz Field for the Steelers Standard here on Steelers Nation Radio. Jacob, we talked about T.J. Watt not being much of a participant when it comes to padded stuff so far at training camp. Really, a lot of the offensive line has been in and out since camp started as far as their participation. Zach Banner participated the very first day of camp. We haven't seen him since, haven't seen him in pads at all. We saw Zach Banner return to practice yesterday in pads. Uh, huge step forward as far as that offensive line is concerned. And personally, as far as Zach Banner is concerned, won the starting job last season only to have a devastating knee injury derail his entire season after week one against the Giants. Comes back this year with eyes on that starting spot again. It, it's really his. There's no real competition there. But nice to see him finally get himself back onto that field and start to get his feet wet a little bit and try to, you know, overcome that mental hurdle that comes with recovering from such a serious injury. Right, and not just a serious injury, but really I, as serious as it is, Tom, I think unfortunate even more so because this was a guy who wasn't expected to be a starter in this league. He really came onto the scene uh, in 2019 and earned his spot. When, when we say earn, we throw that word around a lot, but truly Zach Banner earned his starting spot on the offensive line in 2020, and to be have it taken away from him so soon considering there was no preseason time that he got to play as a starter with the first-team reps and with Ben uh, as a quarterback. There was no training camp to really craft his game even more so. It's really unfortunate that in week one, it, the first time he was given a starting spot at the beginning of a season, it was taken away from him that fast. So as, as serious as the injury was, sidelining him for that entire year, unfortunate even more so. Now, he'll come back, and like I said, he'll be that starting tackle for the Steelers this season. There's no real position battle that he has to worry about. In fact, the guy that he was fighting for the position last year just ended up being the starter on the other side of the line this year in Chukwumwa Korafor. Banner needs to start acclimating himself to game speed, though, start getting himself back to NFL level of play after missing a year, and... Really, that's true for all of the offensive line. It's all about them trying to build a chemistry together and try to go out there and mesh as one single unit for a bunch of guys that haven't played together at all in the NFL career. These five guys haven't been together for a single snap as a unit in an NFL game to this point. So it's hugely important to get that kind of, you know, Stuff, not, not stuff only under your, your you, you need to be able to get that under your belt before the season starts. Not only a, a regular season game, Tom, a preseason game, a, a, practice. a practice. Right, exactly. I mean, you go down the line and they, they don't check any of the boxes. And that's not going to be easy for them once they start doing it. it it's going to take you, – you better hope that the cohesiveness, that the unity comes quickly. But I was sitting thinking about this. And it sucks as we're sitting right here in practices and we work our way towards the first preseason game on Thursday that we haven't seen the fully uh, operational offensive line that we hope to see come week one in Buffalo. And with that unit being the biggest concern for the 2021 Steelers, I think we all wanted to have those worries kind of squashed early. And that's not going to be the case with all these injuries. But I would rather them be injured now and be healthy in week one, then be healthy now, working together, getting that you know chemistry going and really meshing as a unit, only to have one of them go down later in the preseason and then have to plug and play a guy come week one. So if you're going to have a 
time that's good for injuries. I know that sounds awkward to say. It's it would now. be right now at the beginning of camp because they have a month to recover and still work their way into game shape. And even though they haven't worked together in practice to this point, I'd still be comfortable throwing out the five that we project to be the starting five come week one, even if they've had only, say, a week of practice together. I would say the same thing, Tom. It seems like the five of which we are most comfortable talking about and that, that yeah, I, I despite their lack of practice together and lack of time spent playing together, it's still, to me, the best possible lineup the Steelers can can put out there. It's way, yeah, it's way more valuable for them to be healthy than it is for them to be green in their gills when it comes to week one against Buffalo. You know, I, you would love for both to be true. You'd love for them to have a three-week build-up, a couple preseason games together, and all 100% healthy. That's just not the case. That's just not how camp is shaky out right now. You know, there's a lot of guys that are banged up on the inside, on the outside. You haven't been able to see them play together as one, and on Thursday night, I don't think you're going to see them play together as one even remotely. In fact, I think the only guy that you'll really see out of that, you know, de facto five is Kendrick Green, who we know is going to start at center in the Hall of Fame game. Mike Tomlin announced that a week ago, that he would be the starting center versus the Cowboys. So we know we're going to see Kendrick Green. He really has the most to prove out of anybody on this line. Uh, Banner won a starting job last year in the NFL. Chooks took over for Banner and started 15 kept games. Kept it. Didn't do anything it. bad enough that he would lose it, which is important. Dotson proved that he can make it in this league last season, even though he didn't play towards the end of the year. Obviously, David DeCastro comes back. You're going to give that spot back to him. But when he had to fill in for DeCastro and when he had to play here and there throughout the season, he proved that he belonged. And Trey Turner, it's a no-brainer he belongs. The man's been to five Pro Bowlers in his career. So there's no question that he can play in this league. The one guy that you don't know about is Kendrick Green. So even though I'd like to see more than just him working together in that Hall of Fame game, I am glad that we are at least going to see him because it'll be his very first action in the NFL. And you can't say that about anybody else. They've all already checked that box. They all have. And, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, individually, I think they all have something to prove. Trey Turner coming back from an injury, joining a new team. Chooks proving that despite Banner being on the line, he's also capable of being in that position as a starter. Banner, of course, returning from injury. And then Kevin Dotson saying, I know you you wanted DeCastro there when he came back, but let me show you that I could have been there even if DeCastro was on the line as well. But, of course, Kendra Green does have the most to prove because he has no starting NFL experience. Starting or just playing as a backup and getting snaps regardless, he is none of that. So I think they all have something to prove. But, of course, Kendra Green does have the most, being the youngest guy and coming at what I think is the most crucial position on that entire offensive line. I think it is the most crucial position, I think. They need to get the most out of him if they're going to be successful this year. And he's got a very high ceiling. I don't want to put too much on his plate as a rookie, but he can come into this league and establish himself as a star as far as the offensive line is concerned. I don't know how much that gets you around you know, households in the NFL. Offensive linemen aren't the most popular guys, but with people within the league and people that are in the know, he definitely has the potential to rise to that kind of level of play you might be able to get it out of him as early as this year as well. I think that this is a guy that his transition won't be too terribly hard. And I know that the Steelers haven't listed him as number one on their depth chart yet, but I think they're going to give him every single opportunity throughout this next month to earn that number one spot. And 
if they had to choose what they want, it's definitely number 53 starting at center. Absolutely, Tom. I mean, it's going to be tough as all five of them have very little experience playing with each other, right? It's not like this was last year and you were bringing in a guy like Banner to start when he hadn't had a lot of time playing with or alongside David DeCastro and uh, Marquise Pouncey at the time, no longer here. And now you look at them all five individually, I, I think there's zero time spent with each other, right? In previous games, in previous NFL experience, playing alongside of each other. So that's, that's a big obstacle to overcome. It is. And at the fulcrum, you're trusting a rookie. Right in the middle of it all. So that, that could lead to a lot of problems, but it could also pay a lot of dividends if he hits the ground running because then all of a sudden you have a rookie in Kendrick Green, a second-year man in Kevin Dotson as your left guard and your center. You're set at that position for years and years. I mean, at the very least, the next four years before those rookie contracts run out. So you can have the interior of your line pretty much solid for the next five, six years if Kendrick Green can really hit the ground running and give almost a Kevin Dotson-like performance. You know, his tackles are still up in the air with Chooks and Zach Banner, but those two are pretty relatively young, all things considered as well, especially Chooks, only about fourth year in the league. So they have the potential to have a line that can be together and be really good for four or five years at a time. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people trust them to reach their potential. I think a lot of people expect them to fall short of an average offensive line and fall more back towards the, the back of the pack in the NFL. Right. I, it seems that's the narrative nationally that no one really has faith in this offensive line. Right. And ESPN just came out with an article citing ranking the, the 32 teams from 1 to 32 in terms of how much they improved over the offseason. You know where they ranked the Pittsburgh Steelers? Dead last. DFL. Dead last. I mean, I don't understand how you could say that when – you're only getting younger on that offensive side of the ball, of course. At the How can you say the, that when you draft Najee so they, Harris? So they put, they put Jacksonville at number one, which is a, a kind of a cheap shot, a, a, a cheap thing to say just because they got the number one overall prospect. But, yeah, you're as you said, on the interior of the line, second guy in Kevin Dotson, rookie in Kendrick Green, if those guys pan out, yes, you have futures maybe a decade worth of those guys playing next to each other to to solidify the interior and then of course you have Najee Harris who could be here for a solid four or five years to establish the running game and then of course the running the receivers you have a second year guy in Chase Claypool a third year guy in Deontay Johnson and a fourth year guy in James Washington you don't expect Juju Smith-Schuster to stay around but also you have a rookie in Pat Fryermuth they're only getting younger, and of course, you look at guys like TJ and Minka, who are on the right on the right side of 30. If you if you can hopefully retain the two of them, of course, those guys weren't additions, but still, how could you not say they weren't improved in this offseason? And I'm sure a lot of the criticism came in the offensive line, but look at Kendrick Green, look at Trey Turner, who was a I think a, a good free agent signing. I think some that the Pitts. A lot of people thought the Pittsburgh Steelers weren't capable of making because maybe they thought they would just say they were complacent in how bad the offensive line could have been. There was no, there was no reason to make an effort to improve it at all. But they didn't. They didn't stay complacent. They went out and got a five-time Pro Bowler. 
That's exactly right. People seem to be forgetting that part of the equation and only looking at the part where he was injured last year and he's coming off of a pretty bad knee injury. I mean, you have to look at both sides. Yeah, I get that there's concerns with Trey Turner because you don't know how a player of his age is going to react to such a devastating injury like that. But on the other side of the coin, he's not like he's 38, 39 years old. If he can tap into what he had been tapping into prior to the 2020 season, you've got yourself at least a fringe pro bowler on your line to go with two young studs in Green and Dotson. You're How about in, that, The inside Tom? of your line is almost the best in football at that point now. How about that? If, if Trey Turner returns to the Pro Bowl form, there's one. If Kevin Dotson makes a leap to the Pro Bowl level that's that we two. believe him capable of doing, that's two. Two Pro Bowlers on the offensive line is something the Steelers have known for the past five, six years with DeCastro and Pouncey, it would basically be the same thing, just plugging in different names instead of those two legends. And then, of course, the the big question mark, not necessarily in what he's capable of, but how high his ceiling can be is Kendrick Green. The the reports that we're, that we're seeing out of camp, what everyone has to say about him and what we physically get to see out of him is only but positive, right? So what's to say that this kid can't make an impact as quickly as Marquise Pouncey did when he was a rookie? Well, you brought up that list by ESPN about ranking the team's off-season additions in 2021 and how the Steelers finished in last. And I think I take great offense to that. I don't think that's anywhere close to the truth. So when we come back, I definitely want to dive into the off-season additions the Steelers made and just illustrate how dumb it would be to put them dead last in the league. There's just just no basis for that. They've made some really good additions this off-season. We're also going to get into the drops, though, that the Pittsburgh Steelers are experiencing. Led the league in drops last year had a little bit of a problem with the drops at one of their weekend practices. So we'll get into all that on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Steelers Standard, broadcasting live from Heinz Field for Steelers Training Camp, right here on SNR. From Bradshaw and the Steel Curtain to Roethlisberger and Blitzburg, we are always talking black and gold on SNR. Ha <laughs> ha, Wolf here. If you want to party like it's 1999, try the new stuffed crust pizza from Caliente Pizza and Draft House for just 19.99. A large two-topping Caliente pizza with a delicious cheese stuffed crust baked to perfection. Limited time offer only at Caliente, the pizza of champions. Back here on the Steelers Standard with Tom Opferman and Jacob Reck live from Heinz Field for Steelers Training Camp 2021. All is quiet on the field right now. Practice getting underway around 1.30 today. The fans will be coming into the stadium very shortly. Be a great atmosphere here at Heinz Field, as it has been for all of training camp. All quiet on the northern front, you might say. Okay, Jacob, you were so excited to get that joke. You literally came out of your seat once I said all quiet at Heinz Field right now. We talked in the last segment about a list that ESPN compiled. Off-season improvements ranked throughout all 32 teams in the NFL. The Pittsburgh Steelers came in dead last, and we're not going to parse through the list and look at the teams in front of them and say, well, this signing was better than that signing, this signing was better than that signing. But if you just look at what the Steelers did, you can just logically come to the conclusion that there's no way this could be the worst team in the NFL at improving their roster. And I think you start at the very top with Najee Harris. Uh, The guy was picked number 24 overall. Steelers used their first-round pick on him. He comes in, immediately becomes the number one running back, 
so many expectations are thrown on his shoulders. He's one of the top five selling jerseys, not just in Pittsburgh, but around the entire yeah, the league. So, I mean, you just start at the very top of the list and you say, well, this guy not only is the pedigree worthy of a number one overall pick, but for God's sakes, he's going to be the fulcrum of the Steelers' offense this year as well, a team that went 11 and f or 12 and 4 last season. Yeah, this guy arguably is the most talented kid coming out of the 2021 draft. Of course, you want to give that title to Trevor Lawrence and the quarterbacks, but really, when you look at physical ability, Najee Harris is as beastly as they come. So when you go out and you get that guy, regardless of position, just possibly the most talented prospect available to all 32 NFL teams, how do you not say to yourself, if you're ESPN or whoever wrote that article for them, saying that alone should make them at least top 16 in the top half to add someone as valuable, versatile, capable as Najee Harris. And that's just the top of the list. I right. mean, that is that, just the that's one just the person. very that's beginning. One person. Now you look at a signing like Trey Turner, a signing like, let's throw Melvin Ingram in there too, the old Charger boys coming over from L.A. to Pittsburgh. Those two were humongous position of needs for the Steelers. We know how the offensive line, we talked about it all last segment, offensive line is just not looking that great this year. Biggest cause of concern, they go out and they sign a guy that's been to five straight Pro Bowls before getting hurt in the 2020 season. Huge hole filled. On the defensive side of the ball, you had Alex Highsmith and you had T.J. Watt, two pretty good pass rushers, and I can say that about Highsmith now because, man, has he been impressing so far at training camp. But you still had that hole behind them. That depth was lacking at that position. You go out and you sign Melvin Ingram. Melvin Ingram comes in, he fills right. that hole. Two massive holes on this team, one in the starter spot on the offensive line and one depth-wise on the defensive side for outside linebackers, have been filled by Kevin Colbert and the Steelers. Just another box that gets checked off. I mean, it's not about going out and signing the biggest-name players. It's about going out and filling your biggest needs. Right. It Making just so happens that moves. the Steelers also signed a pretty big name in Melvin Ingram to fill one of those holes. And how about the deal that they got him on too, Tom? When we were on the standard back in studio before training camp began, we were predicting uh, the day of the deal being announced. We were predicting how much it would cost. And we were we were saying somewhere around 11, maybe 10 mil. And it, what a, what a great surprise it was to know that Kevin Colbert actually got a deal done that was even more beneficial to the Steelers than that. I mean, you were comfortable giving him that money, but the fact that he got it for even less, super impressive by Kevin Colbert. So the amount of space that you now still have left that Kevin Colbert has to make even more additions. I mean, of course, we're talking about the guys that are already on the team, but still, I mean, it's an impressive feat by him to do so. But again, getting back to your original point about adding – depth at the outside linebacker position and adding a starter at the offensive line arguably two of your biggest concerns coming into the 2021 season the hole left by Bud Dupree and how that would affect the season had by TJ Watt and of course the overall state of the offensive line being without question your weakest link on offense or and defense and you patch both of those if if you're you can't just look if you're ESPN making this list, you can't just say, oh, well, they got Trevor Lawrence, so they get number one. I, I'm not arguing that. Like, no, you can no, say of that. course. But I'm saying – But it's got to cut both if ways. You can't, if, if, 
you can't just say because they're not the flashiest names, you can't give them credit. These are things that the Steelers had to do, and they did so methodically, and they executed perfectly almost. And you bring up Trevor Lawrence, and that's obviously the main reason why the Jaguars shot to number one on that list. I think it's I, the number one. I think I don't, it's the reason. I don't think it's because they went out and they got Tim Tebow, although I did see Tebow catch a touchdown from Trevor Lawrence in training camp, so that connection is already off and running. You know, we're going to talk all this crap about Tim Tebow. He's going to catch a game-winning overtime touchdown, touchdown pass against the Steelers in, a wild in the playoffs card round. this year. Yeah. I really hope not. I can't take two separate occasions of Tim <laughs> oh, Tebow stabbing the Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> in the heart. But it was obviously the Trevor Lawrence pick that shot them to number one. I think Najee Harris was the number two pick in this draft as far as profile is concerned and as far as impact that can be had on the team immediately. I know, obviously, the natural place to go is a Zach Wilson who was picked right after Trevor Lawrence, but I don't know if Zach Wilson's as good as Trevor Lawrence is. I don't know if he can come in and do the Andrew Luck thing where you make your team a playoff team just instantly because you're a phenom. I don't see any other quarterback in that class checking that box. Justin Fields might be able to play well just because the team around him in Chicago is better than the other rookie quarterbacks are dealing with, but... You know, other than that Trevor Lawrence pick, I think the next highest profile pick and the pick that should be on everybody's radar as far as an impact is concerned for 2021 is the Najee Harris pick by the Steelers. Absolutely. I don't honestly, I think it's possibly more so because it's a lot of responsibility for Trevor Lawrence to come in as a quarterback and make an impact when the team last year went 1 and 15. So for Najee Harris to come onto an established team with such a glaring weakness, I don't know if there was a glaring weakness overall for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Just, I mean, if you go one and fifteen, you got a lot of problems. You don't just have a lack of a running game. You have a lot of things going wrong for you. Najee Harris is coming in to a team that had a big problem on offense, and that was getting the running game involved and making the running game impactful. And with the the plethora of other offensive weapons to maybe take away some attention from Najee Harris, you leave his door wide open. And as we've been talking about, the improvements made to the offensive line, the addition of Trey Turner, the drafting of Kendra Green, the establishment of Kevin Dotson, it's, to me, it's it's not a one-car race or a one-horse race in terms of for the offensive rookie of the year. It's not, in my mind, I don't think it's Trevor Lawrence's to lose. I think it is a very even playing field for these two guys to go at it for offensive rookie of the year. Oh, absolutely. I think it really comes down to which team does better because they're both going to be the main reason that their teams have success. If the Steelers do better this year than the Jaguars, it's going to be because Najee Harris's impact was felt on this offense from the beginning until the very end of the season. But then you look at the depth of the draft and the Steelers getting a tight end in Fryermuth, which was a bit of a steal for them. I mean, we've noted that if this was a normal tight end class, Fryermuth would have been not maybe even, a fringe first round pick. But just because Kyle Pitts is a freak of nature. Right. Not even a normal tight end class, just without superhuman Kyle Pitts being in the He's mix. literally going to redefine the position, at least and that's from his mouth saying that he is aiming to be better than a Travis Kelsey or a George Kittle. I mean, Pat Fryermuth is the second-best tight end in this class and a need that the Steelers definitely needed to fill, just, I think, one that kind of was flying under the radar because there were so many other pressing needs that they needed. Uh, but they absolutely needed that other tight end, especially a blocking tight end. They get that. And then they helped their offensive line with Kendrick Green, a guy that you suspect to start from week one. 
And then the very next round, they take Dan Moore Jr. to continue to solidify that offensive line. So, you know, as far as drafting is concerned, they drafted some very high-profile names, but they also checked the box that they needed almost every single pick that they made. Absolutely. I mean, I personally was a big fan of the Pat Fryermuth pick. You knew the Steelers had a glaring issue in the running game. As you said, Tom, there were a lot of holes to be filled or patches to be made across a team, but the tight end position wasn't as glaring as others, even though you weren't super satisfied with the play that you got out of Eric Ebron last year. And the big headline for the Steelers coming into the 2021 draft was, are they going to go running back or or are they going to go with the offensive line in the first round? Well, that answer was... That question was answered with the selection of Najee Harris. Then it became a matter of who are the Steelers' target on the offensive line in these next coming rounds? Are they going to go back-to-back offensive linemen, offensive linemen? If not, at least select the offensive linemen in the second round behind Najee Harris. That didn't even happen because they they valued or they, they knew that they could get Kendrick Green in the third round and they valued Pat Fryermuth high enough that they didn't want another team selecting Pat Fryermuth. So I think it's, as you said, a great selection. And then looking beyond the Kendra Green pick to the fourth round, the Dan Moore selection, another patch added to this team. I think we've illustrated pretty clearly that they've gone out and they've made some pretty significant improvements in this offseason. And they definitely don't warrant being labeled as the worst in the NFL. They, Not at all. They filled a ton of holes that they need and they've picked up some additional talent. And like you said in the last segment, They got a lot younger. That's improvements that you go out and you make on the open market. One of the biggest improvements that they need to make internally is catching the dang football. The Steelers led the league in drops last season with 43. And in Saturday's practice, unfortunately, there was eight drops counted. And Jacob, you said on a bunch of broadcasts, the bad is going to get the spotlight more than the good when it comes to these training camp practices but eight drops does seem like a significant amount. Right. That, that, that seems like more not, than just the spotlight. Right. Okay, that's where I was going to go with that, Tom. That's not something that you can just patch or throw up to say people are just hankering on the bad. That is glaringly bad. That is an issue you do not want to have to deal with, especially when your quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, was already struggling to throw the ball. Yes. That's a, a great point to add on top of that. If Ben Roethlisberger is struggling and he – has someone wide open that drops the ball, I mean, he's just going to – it's not going to ruin his confidence. You can't shake a guy's confidence at that level. It's gonna get him he's going to roll though. his eyes yeah. like crazy, and he might not be willing to go back to you when he needs to later in a game, and that might cause him to force the ball somewhere else and have a turnover happen. And I'm not saying it's your fault because you dropped the ball. Ben still shouldn't force it anywhere. But you're at least going to plant that seed in his mind, that seed of doubt that he might not be able to trust you completely. And I think the two main guys – The two main culprits last year in this were Eric Ebron, the tight end, and Deontay Johnson, the wide receiver. With Eric Ebron, this just might be who you have. I mean, it it might be too late to work that out of his system. Well, it's kind of odd, too, because I don't remember him coming over from Indianapolis hearing problems about dropping the ball. What I heard was, look how great of a season. The one year he had a great quarterback in Andrew Luck. Look at what he produced, 16 touchdowns or 18 touchdowns, something like that. That's what you heard. There was no case of the drops from him. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of concerning because you, you didn't expect this to be a problem for him, and how do you work out something like that? 
I don't know how you can when you're that late in your career. Right. I think it's just you got to take the good with the bad with Eric Ebron. He's going to have some big red zone touchdowns this year. He's going to yep. rumble from the 20 into the end zone, but he's also going to drop the ball a fair share. You say you got to take with the good, the good with the bad time. To be honest, there wasn't much good with Eric Ebron last year. No, and now he's got someone breathing down his neck right. in Pratt Fryermuth. With Deontay Johnson, though, he is still young enough that you can work those drops out of your system. But if he has a case of the drops again this season, all of a sudden that pattern gets labeled toward to him for the remainder of his career. It's going to hurt him as he goes out onto the open market, or it's going to hurt his renegotiations with the Pittsburgh Steelers when the time comes. But you just have to hope that he's not that type of player, that he's not going to end up being an Ebron, where, yeah, he's explosive, and, man, when he's on, he's one of the better receivers as far as yards after the catch is concerned. But it's that catch part of it that is really concerning. The yards after part is great, but you have to do the catch in order to get those yards, and he just isn't as good at that that you'd hoped he'd be. Again, though, opposite of Eric Ebron, he is young enough where you hope that that's just a fluke that he can work through and get it out of his system where it's probably just too late for a guy like Ebron. Yeah, it, it's 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 frustrating. I, I feel like I've been saying that word or using that word a lot to describe parts of this team a lot uh, in, in recent days. But let's not forget, Pat Fryermuth, second-round draft pick, great. There's a lot of mechanics to work out with him. Tomlin obviously wants to get him involved in the pass-blocking game. Eric Ebron was a top-ten pick and his draft class, granted, that was now seven years ago, but he was still that highly touted, high, that highly sought after, that he was a top 10 pick overall. I mean, this is a guy who a team took a Devin Bush-like risk, uh, not even a risk, but they, they valued him as much as the Steelers valued Devin Bush in that year. It was the Detroit Lions who selected Eric Ebron, number 10 overall in the 2014 draft. So... He's capable, right? This is a guy who, if he was in the same cl draft class as Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts would have gone first, but K Eric Ebron would have gone shortly thereafter. It's probably sooner than Pat Fryermuth did this year. We've got some breaking news from Mike Tomlin regarding the running backs from his press conference this afternoon, so we'll get into that on the other side of things. I'm Tom Offerman. With me is Jacob Recht. You're listening to the Steelers Standard live from Heinz Field right here on SNR. Black and gold football lives here 24-7. You're listening to SNR. Ha <laughs> ha, Wolf here. If you want to party like it's 1999, try the new stuffed crust pizza from Caliente Pizza and Draft House for just $19.99. A large two-topping Caliente pizza with a delicious cheese stuffed crust baked to perfection. Limited time offer only. Training camp. Mike Tomlin spoke to the media recently, and he dropped a bomb on our faces, something that we've been completely off on. Najee Harris <laughs> will play in all four of the preseason games, which includes the Hall of Fame game this Thursday. So Steelers fans, make sure you're sitting in front of your TV. Make sure you're turning on the Steelers radio network broadcast of the game because your number one pick, Najee Harris, will be starting that game for your Steelers. Do you think this comes at the heels of what we were getting to Originally about talking about Najee Harris, the drops that we've seen in practice. Do you think Tomlin is saying you're not necessarily at the Ben Roethlisberger, at the T.J. Watt, at the Cam Hayward level where we expect big things of you we, we want to protect you? It doesn't sound like that. It sounds like he wants to get him as much game exposure as possible. Well, he did say it's yet to be determined how much he'll play in the games. But, but if you're playing all four games, that's as that's much as you can play. That's a lot of exposure. Play. Yeah. 
One thing he added is Tomlin said he values players going through the process leading up to a game, especially for a rookie. So, you know, in a lot of ways, this could be just the dress rehearsal as far as getting your mind right and making sure that your pregame routine is in a good place that makes you feel comfortable for game action as opposed to actual game action is what he's trying to get him acclimated to. I bet he plays a series, maybe two, in the Hall of Fame game against Dallas, and I bet you see that workload increased as you work through the preseason game schedule. This is a bit of a risk, though, because you just never know when that injury bug is going to bite you. And if Najee Harris gets tweaked up in this Hall of Fame game or in one of the other preseason games, you're in a lot of trouble at that running back position. There are a position battle happening right now for the number two spot. I think Benny Snell has it right now, but Anthony McFarland is making a big push. Either way, those two guys are nothing to write home about, especially if you have to have them start in an NFL game in the regular season. So there's a risk to what Tomlin's doing, but I'm not going to question the great Mike Tomlin, and I think you have to at least warm a rookie up to the NFL before you just drop him on in his head right on it. Let's hope, Tom, that by getting this experience in, in week one, which we weren't expecting him to do so, that maybe pair that with another week of training camp and then a little bit more of game two that Tomlin would maybe change his mind and say, okay, you know what, you've proven it. What maybe game three when it's typical that you see all the starters play Maybe that as well, but I personally, even though he's a rookie and he has no NFL experience, I'm trying to see more of guys like Benny Snell and guys like Anthony McFarland because I want to know who's going to be there to back Najee Harris up. Absolutely. I, I, I think that that's a position battle that's flying under the radar a little bit, but I think it's just as important. Uh, Anthony McFarland's making some strides in that category as well. And I, I do want to get to what Anthony McFarlane is bringing to the table so far in camp. But before we do that, some other news that came out of Tomlin's press conference. Starting quarterback has been named for the Hall of Fame game. Mason Rudolph will start. Another, to me at least, another unexpected announcement by Tomlin because since training camp has started, it seems that Dwayne Haskins was the quarterback who was impressing most of all. You would think that they would want to go with him just to get him more game time exposure. I'm sure they'll both see snaps, but it's a it's a high compliment to name Mason the starter over Dwayne Haskins. Well, you're right in thinking that they'll both see snaps because he said ha Rudolph will start and play into the second quarter. Dwayne Haskins will pick it up there in the second quarter and he'll play late into the third quarter. And then Josh Dobbs will come in and finish out the game against the Cowboys. So you're going to see three quarterbacks for the Steelers, starting with Rudolph, Haskins to follow, and then Dobbs will be the closer you're not really going to see much from Dobbs, but it so. is going to be an interesting battle to see how Rudolph plays versus how Haskins plays. I still think Rudolph's going to end up with that number two spot when we break camp and break the preseason and, and transition towards the regular season. But this is a great opportunity for Haskins against the team he's familiar with. I don't know how far that goes in the preseason when it's a lot of scrubs you're playing against. He's played against the Cowboys a couple times in his career playing for Washington. It'll be interesting to see if he shows out and Rudolph struggles to see if maybe they flip that come the next preseason game where Haskins gets the start and Rudolph's the one that comes in in relief. Right, and it could be the opposite of that too, Tom. Tomlin said, I want to go with Mason as my starter, obviously behind Ben. And if Mason does enough, doesn't make – I'm not saying he's going to make strides and, and, and have a perfect game, but if he does just enough to please Tomlin, that could just be it. You know, if you're already set on someone and they do so – 
nothing to upset you further, then you're going to continue to go with that guy. Right, exactly. And Mason Rudolph's playing from ahead, obviously. Right. So even despite Haskins probably having a better – what, not probably, but if He Haskins, is having a better camp right well, now. Well, I'm saying if Haskins has a better game than Mason Rudolph, but it doesn't come in the form of Mason having a bad day and Haskins having a good day, just Haskins performed better, I, don't, I still don't think it would be enough for Tomlin to overturn Haskins as the number two guy and Mason be the number three guy. We talked about the backup running back position battle briefly uh, a couple of minutes ago when we discussed Najee Harris getting the start. Benny Snell came into camp as that number two on the depth chart. Benny Snell was the number two to James Conner last year. He had a couple hundred yard games last season in James Conner's absence. Never was able to really put it all together though. Still not really impressive as far as I'm concerned and as far as a lot of people are concerned. And the talk of camp is that Anthony McFarland is making strides as far as catching Benny Snell. And I know they're a different kind of style back. Benny Snell could maybe project to being more of a power guy. Anthony McFarland is a prototypical one cut back. That's just his, his style of play. But if Anthony McFarland can track down Benny Snell for that, that number two spot uh, in the running back room, I mean, that's great news for the Steelers because Benny Snell almost had it out, out of default. You know, there was just no other option. So if Anthony McFarland can internally force another option on them, I think Tomlin will be smiling ear to ear at Canada as well. I think it depends on what kind of play Tomlin and Canada want out of their backup quarterback. Backup back running back. Backup running back. Thank you for that. Uh, because they're obviously very different. Benny is a more ground and pound kind of guy, and Anthony is a more break it out to the outside and use my speed and quickness on my feet to make a play. So I think if one guy kind of elevates his style of game more so that to make it actually work, right, then, the, then Canada and Tama will obviously want to go in that direction despite the style that they would want, regardless of who it is. When it comes to Anthony McFarland, looking at him, this is a guy that the Steelers picked in the middle rounds last year, so they obviously felt the need, despite having Benny Snell, the draft just a year prior to that, they felt the need that they needed to go out and still shore up that running back room. So I think Benny Snell hasn't impressed his rookie year. I don't think Benny Snell has impressed much this uh, past season and in this training camp as well. What McFarland can bring to the table, though, that Benny Snell can't, like I said, he's that prototypical one-cut running back, change of pace guy. I know that the pace won't be changed too much because Najee Harris can do pretty much everything that any running back in this running back room behind him the can perfect do. Combination he's the perfect combination of McFarland combo of and Benny Snell, yeah. But in today's day and age, in today's NFL, the type of player that I think you want is McFarland, especially when you know Harris is going to be just as useful of a battering ram on short yardage as Benny Snell would be. So if that's the case, then I go with more of a playmaker as my number two. And Anthony McFarland. And McFarland's definitely more of a playmaker. We all remember in this playoff game last year, the Steelers sent him out on that wheel route late in the game on fourth and one. Ben missed the throw. Not exactly the guy you want to send out on a wheel route, but... He's definitely a guy that you could send out on some routes because he's got good hands, and when he has the ball in his hands, he makes people miss. That was his M.O. in Maryland in college. And, and again, I, I would lean towards the playmaker as the backup to Najee when 
you're not going to need that short yards battering ram. Number 22 is going to be able to do that himself. Right. And two, when Najee Harris gets a little too tired, when he needs a series off or he needs a player two off, you're going to assume it's not going to come in the form of a third and one or a third and short type of situation, maybe a second and, and short, because he's going to be capable of going out there and getting that. Uh, uh, second down is a little different, but third down and short, you want Najee Harris out there at, at all times. So, yeah, I think in terms of what you can add to your team as a whole, since Najee Harris is so punishing as the runner up front and you expect him, despite maybe some fatigue, even on key scenarios, goal to go, third and short, you expect Najee Harris to be out there, and that kind of negates the usage of Benny Snell. So, yeah, I agree with you that get Anthony McFarlane out there for more packages that you can run. Tomlin, some other things he went on to talk about in the Hall of Fame game. Said select veterans won't play in the game, the ones that he named, Ben Roethlisberger, Cam Hayward, Joe Hayden. Nothing to surprise you there. We knew that Kendrick Green was going to start at center. That was made clear to us about a week ago. Tomlin doubled down on that and also added that Kendrick Green will play a significant amount in this coming game. So would not be surprised to see the new number 53 play for an entire half of football come Hall of Fame game on Thursday. And I'm okay with that. You know, we've talked about protecting Najee Harris, but I think Kendrick Green more so needs the experience than Najee Harris does. Getting, just feeling comfortable being called upon as that starting center. We've got a little more clarity as far as the defensive back position battle is concerned, and maybe we'll get some more on Thursday night. We'll talk about that to wrap things up here for the Steelers Standard, live from Steelers training camp right here on SNR. <laughs> 